Welcome to the Steady On Podcast, where God's hard truth meets your hard story. I'm Angie Bauman, and this is episode 123, Life Can Be Good Again. And my guest today is author, blogger, and speaker, Lisa Apollo. My words to describe Lisa are gentle, gracious, and strong. Lisa has walked a difficult road. After losing her husband suddenly, she found herself a young widow and a single parent to their seven children, ranging in ages from four to 19. And she mothered her children in their individual grief while trying to navigate her own. She talks about being a woman who was desperate for God. And she made a profoundly important point as she shared her story with me one day last spring when we spent this time together. She said, and these are my words, not hers exactly, but she said, I had needed God before. I had needed him before and called upon him before, but not like this, not with this desperation. There's something about acknowledging our desperation for God that makes us able to receive comfort and strength from God, which is why I loved the verse Lisa mentioned that is our verse for this episode. It's Deuteronomy 33, 27. Here, the first part of it in the NIV, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Friend, in whatever season you find yourself, in whatever state of desperation, for God you are in right now, the eternal, incorruptible, unchangeable God is your refuge. He is what can and will hold you. And I think you'll hear that reminder in my conversation with Lisa today. Let's listen in. Hello, Steady On community, and welcome into this podcast episode. I'm Angie Bauman, and with me today is Lisa Apollo. Lisa, welcome to the Steady On community. Thank you so much for having me, Angie. I appreciate it. I am. I'm excited to have this conversation and I'm so just like honored that you would share these pieces of your difficult story with us so that we might see God in some of our hard stories. Uh, Lisa has written a new book called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And will you tell us, just start us off just a little bit of talking to us about Dan, tell us a little bit about Dan, if you will, and your marriage and his passing and just some things that that has done to your life in the time that he's been gone. Just kind of share with us for, as we start. Okay. So Dan and I met in seventh grade. We were, Oh my word. I have to stop you right there. That's beautiful. (laughs) No, but except I have a sixth grader. So it makes me a little bit nervous. Oh, I know. I I think about when my kids get into middle school, I think is one of these, you know, going to be part of my family. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I promise I won't stop you that often. That's gorgeous. Go ahead. Go ahead. So we met in seventh grade. Of course he was just another boy in youth group, but as we went through, got into high school, we became part of a group of really good friends and then became very good friends. He and I, he was a surfer. And so once a week he would, we would go with a small group of kids drive to the coast and I would watch him surf with some others. Um, but he, you know, by late high school, he, so I'll tell you this little quick story. He, we were good friends. And one Sunday night we were having an after church youth fellowship and Dan had brought a friend to church and she had long blonde hair down below her waist And word was that she had just won the Hawaiian Tropic Bikini Contest. So I put out the word that if Danny Apollo asked me out, I would say yes. I was like, enough of this friend stuff. 
that really did it. And um, so, yeah, the girl with the long out. blonde hair has motivated no. me to move this forward. Huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he asked me out and that was really, I felt like the first night of the rest of my life, we'd been such good friends. I knew we would work. We went to college together and then we just started our family. You know, he wanted two kids. I made a deal to get three kids. And then as God would have it, we have seven. So um, just a whole nother story there, but just trusting God with our family size you know, life was not perfect. We definitely went through struggles. We went through parenting struggles. We went through financial struggles. We had, um, you know, marriage issues, but we had gone through each one of those and they really having gone through them only served to make, to knit us closer, to make our marriage that much stronger, to know each other that much better. And so, um, we were, it was a very ordinary Friday morning. I thought he was going to, you know, get up and go to work. And then we had a big week, the next week, a big family vacation with my parents and extended family. But that Friday morning, I woke to his funny breathing on the pillow next to me. And I wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but I reached out my hand and just kind of nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare. And I just expected that he would turn over. And then we would both fall back asleep and wake up to his alarm, but he didn't turn over. And as his breathing continued to wake me up enough to then open my eyes and hop out of bed and turn on the overhead light, I realized that something was very wrong. And there had been no signs, no symptoms, no indication that anything was going on. We now know that there was a heart issue and that had we known it was probably treatable but we didn't know. And so here I was on this Friday morning, you know, I cried out, my kids could hear me and they, the bigger ones started to, to come into the room and we called 911. We started CPR. The paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. And so they were there within not even two full rounds of CPR. They were there. So I was very hopeful, even though the situation looked dire, I thought that they were there quick enough. And I didn't know enough about the funny breathing to know that that was really his end breathing. Um, and so they took him by stretcher to the hospital and I followed and it was there not long after that they pulled me into that room that you never want to go into the counseling room, not the patient treating room. And they said that they had worked on Dan for over two hours and they had never been able to revive him. So that was it. Like one, you know, one night I went to bed and a life that wasn't perfect, but was surely the life that I wanted. If you had asked me, it would have, it was definitely the life that I loved. And I woke up a widow and a single mom to seven and life was, would never be the same again. No, no. Talk to me just a little bit about just those early hours and, and talking to your children and what were some of the things that just felt I, did you feel like you just kind of were in shock and going through the motions? Were there things at that time that kind of over and over again, you're like, I can't do this part. I can't do this part. Would just, what, what was, what was going on inside you maybe in those early moments and days? You know, it's interesting. We never know how we'll react in right. a crisis. Um, I know people were praying for me. I had the clarity of thought to call a good friend and she and her husband met me at the hospital. So she drove me home and she must've put out the word because from the time that we arrived home, my front door just opened and opened and opened and people came to be with us. My kids' friends came to be with them. I heard guitars upstairs where they were singing praise songs with my tween and teen boys. But yeah, um, you know, there was, there are no scripts. 
for this, these kinds of moments in life. But I know that people were praying for me and I know God was just holding me because I found myself saying things that I would not have known to say in advance. Mm-hmm. What my oldest son was a counselor at camp. It was his first, he had just finished his first year of college and it was his dream to be a counselor at this camp. And he was leading a group of boys onto the Appalachian trail. And so we had to get hold of him. The office wasn't even open. It was still dark, but we had a friend that was lived, that was at her cabin that was closed. She drove to the camp, found him. And I had to tell him over the phone, your dad has had this and he's in heaven. And, um, man, as we were sitting there holding hands, my other kids had all come into the room where I was talking to my son. We'd finally gotten a hold of him and some other friends were gathered with us, just kind of holding hands. I thought, you know, now this is going to cry. I haven't told that many people this, but I said, most people, there are people who never get a dad like this, not for five minutes in their life. And you had that dad and we will be forever grateful. And just to frame that from the beginning that, um, that the gift of Dan short as it was and way shorter than we ever wanted it to be. And as, as painful as it was it was a gift and we would, we would do it all over again. Yeah. To have that, to have that influence in your life and in your children's life, because it can't be taken away. Right. The the way that he, it sounds like he loved you all very well and to be loved well by a father and a husband, even though he's not here, it, that lasts Mm -hmm. for sure. That legacy carries on. Yeah. So what were some changes, Lisa, that you dealt with just right away? As you, as you said, you woke up a a widow and a single parent to seven children. And so what were some of just the logistical, wow, this is, I don't know how to do this right now. Just some of the obstacles maybe that you were facing that, that were hard. Really everything changed. And I think that a lot of people might be able to identify that if you've had any, any kind of shattering loss where a spouse has walked out on you. Um, with an, I never loved you, or you've gotten a chronic diagnosis. Um, or even, you know, I, I walked with a friend through a business that she and her husband had poured their heart and soul and whole their, mm-hmm. their income into. And when it went, you know, they were, had some situations that were not savory happened to them. It just upended their life as they knew it, as they had planned so, so much was affected. I was a single mom. I was learning that all over again. I had a lot of fear for my children, a lot of fear for our income. We were a one income family at that point and, um, a lot of fear for my future. Um, of course, all the hard emotions, you know, it's just a, it's just a stew of hard emotions. And the, the, um, idea that there are five tidy sequential stages of grief is just has been proven wrong over and over by people who walk through this. It's more like a messy mix of all the emotions, sometimes conflicting all at once. But, you know, I think that even in all of that, that is not within our control. um, We do have steps that we can take that are in our control. And so finding those, and it's not like I had some big laid out plan. I was just a desperate woman and I was desperate for God and I was desperate to find my footing. And so I began to get the kids started in the morning and then get alone by myself in my minivan with the Lord. And that practice of just getting alone with him every day would lift my head and give me enough hope that I could go back into the house and show up and parent my kids that day. You said in your van to be alone because your house was busy. 
My house was busy. So uh-huh. yeah, I, I say yeah. some people have a prayer closet. I have a minivan. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> Find the spot, right? Especially when I, I love your vulnerability and saying I was just a desperate woman. And so find your minivan spot where you can pull away. I think that's so important for the listener to hear, pull away and say, I am a desperate woman and I'm in my van, but you'll feel me here. You'll feel yeah. me from this place where I am. So I want to, I want to circle back to that just a minute. Cause you said that the kids were playing praise songs upstairs on the day that Dan died. You're talking about getting in your van kind of early in your grief to spend time with him. What that indicates to me, you had a relationship uh, uh, with God before this happened. What was your relationship like with God before this happened? And how did this invite change into it? If you will. You know, we had been through hard things before, so this was not the first time that we had had to rely on God, but I think those other times they were, they were parts of life. They weren't, they hadn't, didn't affect life so intensely and immensely. And so we could, it, maybe it was a struggle in our finances or a parenting issue and there were more seasons, you know, we got through them, we got over them and we went on and life kind of reverted back to normal. This is not a season. My children's father is not coming back. And I think maybe some of your listeners might identify with that, that a chronic diagnosis isn't a season. This is something that will forever be something that they will need to manage and deal with. So, um, yes, I had a strong relationship. I was a Bible teacher. I, I taught, you know, we were, I homeschooled. So I had the time to be able to sit with my kids every morning. And I had really tried, did not have that growing up in my family. And I'd really tried to carve out that priority of sitting and having that Bible time with my kids. And what I found was that in the season, when life fell apart, that all those days of just ordinary Bible study, ordinary getting in the word, ordinary, what I thought was ordinary, right? It was like a deposit in my faith bank. And when I needed an emergency withdrawal, it was there for me. And God brought verses back and stories back to me in all new ways and applied them and made them relevant to me. But, you know, even if we even if we're a person who says, yes, I trust you, Lord. Yes, I believe in you. When we hit this new place of utter dependence on God, we're really wanting to know, is God going to be faithful to me in this? Yes. And I think cerebrally, we, we, we know he'll be faithful, but we just can't see how it's going to pan out. I could not see how God was going to heal eight broken hearts. I did. I was worried about our finances. And so there was a lot of rubber meets the road kind of, if you do not show up, then we have no hope in this. Yeah. I would like to ask one more question if I can, because I think the listener might be wondering in that time in your van. And I just love, I love the picture you've painted with that. How did you know what to do? How did you know what to study or what to, what did that look like? Those moments that you spent in your van for somebody that's like, I would like to connect with him like that, but I don't know how. That's a great question. So I would say that you do not have to go hunting for verses or looking for something that you think will say what you want it to say. There are times to do topical studies, but, um, for me, picking up a reading plan. So uh, Dan had been reading through the Bible for a year and I was doing something different. So I was like, okay, you do that, but I've got this over here. And he died in June. So I picked up his reading plan and his journal and turned to a next page and just kept going. Mm. And so there I was in the middle of this reading plan, reading through the Bible for it through the year. But 
that what I found was that God meets us on every page of scripture. And I was just so needy. It was, it was, you know, I needed God's word more than I needed food. I really understood those verses that say, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And how God, you know, he was provided physical manna daily for the Israelites in their wandering but for us, he gives us this spiritual manna that is just as essential. And so for me, I would just, I would pour out my emotions, my questions, my sometimes audibly, sometimes through journaling, my fears. And then I would kind of open up the word to whatever the passage was. It could be Leviticus. It could be Matthew. It could be the Psalms. And on the pages of that scripture, it wasn't for anybody else. It was not a word for my children or somebody that I knew. It was for me. And God would always remind me who he is, his character and his promises. And it was enough for, to lift my head that day and to give me the hope. I, it wasn't enough for the week. I had to go back the next day and do it all over again. I love that you pointed that out, that it's not enough for the week. And I think sometimes the more that we're hurting, I have, I say this often, I have such a bad short-term memory when it comes for, to God's faithfulness and his promises. I've been walking with him so long. And how do I, when I confront something new, forget that his faithfulness will show up in that too. Right. You know, or even, even just an inconvenience in the day. And all of a sudden I'm trying to take control of it instead of knowing that this is actually something that God is using to bring you to him like that, you know? And, um, and so, yeah, we need it often. You need it every day. Maybe you need it several times a day. Sometimes I go back to the same devotion. I, I read in the morning because I've like, I've already forgotten that really important thing that you taught me a few hours ago, you know? So I think it's really great to, um, it does, you don't have to be in there for hours at a time. You can, there's a time for that for sure. But I think frequent, reminders of what you just said of who God is and his promises are so important when we're in a season that's really difficult. Yeah. 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 I agree. I've heard you say, I heard you say on another interview that you, you talk about your children and how you, you couldn't, you, I'm, I'm going to say this the way that you said that you could be there for them in their grief, but you couldn't grieve for them. I think is the way that I heard you say that. And I thought that was such an interesting acknowledgement, a self-awareness, maybe even, you know, and so I wondered if you talk about this, that just a little bit, what are some ways that you were able to be for your children in their grief? What did that look like? And then maybe what are some ways for the listener that may be wondering how they help someone who's going through something really hard? What are some ways people were there for you in your grief? Yeah. I think our natural response is to want to fix things for people. Sure. I still find myself, even when I meet new widows or new women today going through the heart, my initial, initial heart is like, I wish I could fix this, yeah. but we can't do that. That is God's job to do. So what we can do is walk with them in it. And what it looked like for my children was, of course, I was naive about grief. I didn't really know a lot. And I had kids all over, you know, all ages. I had a four-year-old and a six-year-old. I had tweens and teens. And then I had my, you know, 17-year-old and 19-year-old. So it looked different for each of them. My four-year-old was very uh, concrete. And she also couldn't understand the permanency of death. And so every day for over a year, we would have the same conversation. She would just burst out in tears at some point during the day, usually in the car. And she would, I would reach back and take her hand and she'd say, I miss daddy. I miss daddy. And I'd say, I know, baby, I do too. And we would have that same conversation for my six-year-old. He kind of played around like all the other neighborhood kids during the day. You would never know anything was up with him, different with him. But then at night when it quieted, he was had come to our bed and he was sleeping on his dad's side of the bed for months. 
And so when I would tuck him in on that pillow, the tears would spill, his heart would open and we could have the conversations. My teens and tweens really wanted to go back to life as normal. Not that they felt normal because we know that kids, we know statistics tell us, studies tell us that even if kids aren't talking about it, that they, they are thinking about it. So this is for anybody. If you're walking with a friend through grief, or you are a parent or a coach or a teacher, Sunday school teacher who has a child who's grieving, you are not reminding that child of their loss. If you say the name or speak into that situation, I'm praying for you. You know, I loved your dad. You know, your sister was such a bright light. You know what I loved about your mom? You know, when you say these things, they are just love letters to, to, to hear somebody else speak into that. And you're not reminding them. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden they're reminded that they're going through this big thing. So for my teens and tweens, it was really keeping the conversation open. I saw that as my main job was to keep a warm, open, safe place for them to ask questions, but mostly to keep the conversation, to start the conversation that they could join because they really wouldn't do that on their own. And I think for friends, you know, we have the same uh, instinct to want to fix things. And sometimes that can come across by saying things that are well-meaning, but they're hurtful. Like, um, if you must, God must know you're strong. So he lets you go through this or God just needed another angel, or at least you have, you know, there's so many sentences like in miscarriage, at least you can have more ki- kids, or at least you're young enough to remarry again. Um, all of those really dismiss the pain that the person is feeling. And so I think it's better to say, to not feel like we have to have perfect words. None of us do, but just to sit with that person in the pain and just say, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, I love you, or I'm praying for you, or how can I best pray for you? Give me something specific that I can take and pray over your family. Remember important dates. That's a huge thing. Text them, send a card, give a call on important dates, you know, long after everybody else has gone, gone home and returned to their lives. And then I think just, um, showing up, not with a, Hey, call me if you need something. Cause nobody's going to do that, but I would love to come over Thursday and mow your lawn or bring a meal or take your kids. So you can have some time, um, give a specific way that you would like to help and give a specific time and let that person say, Oh, that's Thursday's not great, but Wednesday works great. It just would, it's, it's very practical, helpful way to step in. Yes. And I, I think that's so important to try to find practical ways to help. And it, you know, it takes a risk on our part because they could say no, which is, I think a lot of times why we say that, just call me if you need anything, right? Because yeah. then we give it to them. But I think it can be so loving to say, I would like to come on Wednesday and get your laundry and bring it back to you. Would that be okay? And and, and right. I, I, I'm going to bring chicken on Thursday night, unless someone else is bringing food. Is that okay? Like give them a, and they can say no. And then you might feel like maybe I should have said something, different. but I'm telling you most of the time they're going to say, maybe I, I don't want you to feel like you have to do that. You know, this kind of thing. And then they're going right. to say yes, because they right. need it done. Right. They need it done. So, and take it's the how risk. we, Mm-hmm. Yes. It's how the body of Christ weaves yes. itself into mm-hmm. a tight, yeah. these tight friendships that are, that go past. How are you doing? I'm fine. Yes. 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 So well said. I, when you were talking this last time about the way that you were with your kids, it hit me anew what it must've been like to have seven grievers that you, that in your grief, you were helping grieve. And I just, I guess I just want to say that out loud that I just acknowledge this, like, as you try to mother them in your own 
very difficult. I've never been here before and I've never heard this way, but all of your people, your the people that God has invited you to mother and nurture we're all doing this in their own personality on their own timetable and their own. And, and so even on a day that you must've felt like you were doing a little bit better, somebody in your house was really having a rough time of it. And so that I just, I don't know what I want to say about that, except for I see that. And that must've been just a really difficult part of this journey for you as a mom. Yeah. I think early on, this was one of those things that came to me that I didn't know to say, I know it came from the Lord somebody praying for us because right after Dan's service, we were sitting down the li- around the living room together for the first time, just us. And I said, we're going to need a lot of grace with each other. Yes. I knew that we, I didn't know what the year held I, and I was fearful how my kids will react in grief, but I knew that we would be on different timetables and it would manifest differently and we wouldn't understand one another. And I would make mistakes. I did make mistakes in my single parenting. Um, And just to say, we're going to need a lot of grace with each other. I think even now looking back, you know, I didn't do that all perfectly. There were times my daughter, my teen daughter would want to talk at 1130 at night when I was just heading to bed and just wrung out and had nothing left. And I think, wow, you know, I could have shown up better for her, but I think just to cover all of that with grace and say, you know, we were all grieving together and we were honest about it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Which is, the, I think that it's just such a beautiful part of your story. Yeah. Uh, I, I know that scripture and being in the word, and you mentioned that you taught the Bible. And I, so I know the word is really important to you, Lisa. Is there, is there a particular passage or verse or story or character that has really been something you've clung to this last, the, the last 10 years uh, since Dan has died, or even just like in the writing of this book, you know, something important to you that you've gone back to time and time again? I think the verse that sticks out most to me that showed up in that normal reading plan, I didn't go looking for it was Deuteronomy 33, 27. And it says the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. And wow, just what a picture that God, that God's is our eternal God is our refuge. Boy, did I need a refuge? I needed a safe place and a defender and somebody who would fight for me and go before me. And then to think that in my weakness, when I could not do that, that his everlasting arms were underneath us, carrying us through. That was just such a picture in the word for me. I think it's so important. I love that you say picture. That's something that helps me so much too. When I, when I study the word or when I do like a word study, you know, go back to the original Hebrew or something like that. And it gives you, sometimes it gives you this just like visual of what the author is trying to say. And you can picture yourself in that refuge. You know, you can picture yourself laying in those arms. And when you're struggling, you can, that can be such a source of strength as you really imagine yourself being carried, being protected, being held. And you can go back to it time and time again, when it feels very, much out of control. Yeah. 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 And the comfort, just, you know, the comfort that God gives it's, it's not like the flesh and bone comfort of a husband sitting right next to you or a child that you've lost and you just dearly miss those snuggles or the child that you wanted, you know, but, um, but there is comfort in that, that God does sustain us with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So well said, this has been so good. Thank you so much for being so open about your 
your marriage and your, the place that you found yourself after Dan passed and sharing the pieces of your children and your story with us. I always ask this question before I let my guests go, would you give us just a little glimpse into maybe what be going on in your minivan right now? What are you, <laughs> <laughs> what are you studying or reading, using, listening to anything at all? That's just reminding you of that comfort and keeping you connected to God right now. Yes. So I am in numbers right now. I'm actually reading through the Bible again, and I'm using the, um, I I can never pronounce this right. McShane. Okay. So reading method, it takes you through four books and you get through the, um, you go through the, the gospels twice and the Psalms twice, I think. So I'm in numbers right now. And I'm so glad because I just got through Leviticus. Like, can we get through Leviticus? <laughs> can be a, like, there's so there's like really good things in there, of course, but then there's like, okay, I don't think I want to read all this again. I, yes, yes. I just love yes. the narratives, yes. you know, and how God dealt with the Israelites. There's so much relevancy, mm-hmm. but yeah, my little minivan is still scooting all over town, taking kids places and sitting, waiting for them as they're there. And, you know, so many times, in fact, I, I wrote half of this book in that minivan. Um, my, I would come home on Fridays. Friday was my day to kind of get out and write. And so I would come home and my son would say, and my battery would be dead. I'd say, well, my battery died. So I'm, I'm back home. And so my, one of my sons bought me this, um, this battery that you can, you can like an extended battery. So yeah. I can, plug it in. So it gave me more hours. So I carry that around in my car too. I love that. Well, writing this book in the minivan is like, that's called like working in the cracks, right? While, while you're in the pickup line, while you're doing, yeah, like you're just continuing to pour your heart out. And so thank you, Lisa, um, for your, for the sacrifice of your time and your willingness to share your story with us, that all of us might be encouraged in our hard places that God is good and God is faithful. Thank you so much for that. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. Lisa can be found at lisaapolo.com. I will leave that in today's show notes and her book is called life can be good again putting your world back together after it all falls apart and i will link where you can find and follow her and get this book and lisa all the best to you as you continue to get the word out about this message thank you so much angie thank you for the tenderness that you approach this with and the authenticity um it's been a great conversation and you haven't just pasted over the hard so i appreciate that I'm so glad. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate you. And friend, thank you for listening until next time. Peace. Lisa, thank you. Thank you for reminding us through your experiences, how close God is to us when we call out to him. Thank you for being brave and strong and willing to share how God's promises helped you in some really, really dark days and how those promises continue to help and sustain you as you live this life that you never wanted, but with his help you have found, can be good again. Deuteronomy 33:27. hear it this time from the HCSB. The God of old is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I have a copy of Lisa's book to give away. New subscribers to my newsletter with U.S. addresses between September 27 and October 6 will be eligible to win. So visit the website, livesteadyon.com, and click the orange newsletter button on the homepage to sign up. I would love to send you a copy of Lisa's book, Life Can Be Good Again. You can also find that direct link in today's show notes. Next week, my guest will be John Fugler of Fresh Faith ministries. John will be here to talk about a Christian walk that is based on relationship with Jesus and not on performance. 
Have you been listening to the Covered Podcast miniseries? Within each episode of the miniseries, my Bible Talk co-host Susie Crosby and I use personal stories and Bible stories and God's promises from Scripture to leave you covered with God's merciful hope for whatever situation is currently yours. The link for that is also in today's show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I pray wherever your day takes you, you are walking in the confident knowledge that you are a beloved, cherished child of God. Peace.